0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M A X P O O L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
1: The legends are true! Overwhelming power! Sauce of destiny! Yes!
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we are going to begin counting down the 50 best movie moments of 2023. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editors, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. BJ Colangelo.
1: Hi, hi, hiya.
0: Brad Omen, Hey, that's me. Editor and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. And staff writer, Ryan Scott.
3: Hey, hey, everyone.
0: All right, uh, so Jacob... Well, I'm going to hand the reins to you and let you tell us what we're doing here.
4: Yeah,
5: quick apology if I sound a little rough today, or if I start to sound rough throughout this episode. I am a little under the weather, but I, I will power through the best of my abilities because this is my favorite podcast we do all year, and we are going to have a big list of well over a hundred moments from uh, 2023, a great moments from bad movies, and you know great moments from good movies, everything in between, and. The idea behind this list is that we want to like isolate the moments that stuck with us, the moments from the great movies, but also the moments from maybe not so great movies that we think you know still stand out in our minds. And we do this by going around the horn a little bit. We're going to have each person uh, on their turn nominate a moment to keep, lock in the list, and a moment to remove from the list. And you know, uh, guys, I encourage you if you think a moment does not should not be on our list, you know, speak up. And if you think a moment you know doesn't shouldn't be cut you know speak up as well we'll keep it friendly but also fight for what's important to you uh and there's somebody here that I feel very strongly about and I'm sure you all do too and we'll end up with a list of 50 and naturally this is a full spoiler thing if we start talking about a movie you haven't seen yet and spoilers matter to you you know hit the button on your you know phone or your whatever device you're, you're listening to skip ahead because from here on out all spoilers on the table all endings everything that happened 2023 will be up in the air and I encourage everybody on this on this show, as you discussed, don't beat around the bush. Spoilers should be part of this. And if BJ talks about a movie that I haven't seen, but she's passionate about it, you know, I, I'd be like, all right, she talked me in this, moment, this movie moment being on the list. So be open to that. And I see that uh, Ben's already built the rotation we're going to be working through here. So it's going to be Chris, BJ, myself, Ryan, Brad, and Ben in that order, right? Yes. I guess the last uh, piece piece of housekeeping is will be a three-part episode one hour today you know and two more hours after this so we'll be you know we will not be finishing our list today at all but we'll get through a decent chunk of it so uh with that said uh chris you're up first from our massive list of moments we're not going to read them all out loud right now uh there's four pages of them on our, on our doc here i would love for you to pick one moment that you think should be on our list for sure and we'll you know lock in or not and then one moment you think uh can go
2: uh, yeah, so I'm going to pick uh, the final song from Theater Camp. Theater Camp is a movie I don't hear a lot of people talking about in their end-of-year lists, and that's a shame because it's a delightful, funny little movie. Um, how detailed... Do I have to like, explain the scene, or what are we doing? Yeah, I, I think just give a, a brief summary of why it's great, what happens in it. All right, so this is a this is one of my favorite types of jokes. It's a, it's a callback joke. So the, the premise of the Theater Camp is... Uh, it's set in a theater camp. It's a mockumentary. It, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a documentary about this theater camp. And there are two counselors played by Ben Platt and uh, Molly Gordon. And Molly Gordon's character is supposed to uh, – every, every year at theater camp, they write an original musical for the, the campers to perform. And this year, Molly Gordon's character is supposed to write the big closing number, and she gets distracted by another gig and she ends up not writing it. And midway through the film, Ben Platt's character is like, let's hear the, the ending song. You're supposed to have written it. And she claims she's written it and she's makes it up on the fly. And she's like pointing out things in the room, like a girl with an open Snapple and a boy looking down. And she's just like saying things she's seeing around the room and trying to pass it off as a song. And obviously it's like, you didn't write the song. And at the end of the movie, they put on the, the play, they put on the musical and they end up turning all those lyrics into an actual song. And the song ends up being like a, a total banger and it, it rules and it's very sweet it's very funny, and it's it's just a great callback because you kind of forget about that that plotline until they bring it back at the very last moment, and uh, it's just it's handled very well, and it, it made me uh, smile. So that's why I'm picking it. Thank you. Good night, people. People <laughs> love this movie.
5: I'll i I missed this one, so I can't weigh in a lot, but uh, I know staff film writers love this movie. Everybody know who's seen it, love this movie. It's been one of those movies that people talk about. So I would love to hear from other folks, but I'm okay with this being on the list.
1: Oh,
4: no, yeah, I,
3: I, so I back this scene for sure. Yeah. 100% because, like, it it ta- keeps all the crappiness of that, like, uh, song that she makes up on the spot and turns it into, like, a legit Broadway song. Yeah.
1: yeah it's, it's, awesome. it's great. It's so
5: good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Theater Camp is the first one locked in. Uh, Chris, where are we cutting? Oh, I had to pick a cut
2: one, too? Yeah. You got to pick one to keep oh, one to cut. Shit. <laughs> I don't know what this scene is. It just says Ant Man and the Wasp, dash, Holes. Uh, Let's cut. Let's cut anything involving Ant Man and the Wasp:
3: Quantum Mania. Because come on. <laughs> okay, you know what, Chris, Re- reel it, reel it in. Okay. Uh, I, I put this one on here, and I fully expected it to get cut, and I'm totally fine with that. But I wanted to mention it because this, to me, like, is one of my favorite gags in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania, and it's basically David Desmalchian's uh, like weird little sci-fi character. Uh, he's fascinated by the fact that human beings have several holes in their body, and there's this conversation about how many they have. And like Paul Rudd takes a moment to like figure out if his count of how many human holes uh, that he has is accurate, and he like considers it in his head. And it's just like a really funny thing. And so I really like the weird Rick and Morty esque sci fi humor that was brought to the script in Ant Man of the Wasp: Quantumania. But again, I totally understood that it was probably going to end up being cut, so I, I'm i not going to push back too hard on it, but I just should wanted go, to acknowledge should
5: it. Should we cut both Ant-Man moments? Because I had to get a one. I'm, I kind of want to say a piece on it and then cut it as well, if we're cool with that.
3: Uh, I'm yeah. very okay
4: with those going, yeah.
5: Yeah, well, the other one I put is uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, it, Jonathan Majors is really good. And the problem with this movie is that Jonathan Majors has been rightfully drummed out of Marvel. It has been rightfully had his career taken down for his actions off screen. But there's a moment in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, where he's been found out. Michelle Pfeiffer has realized that he's up to no good and that his ruse as being a good guy has been completely false. And you see the gears turning in his head. You see the change across his face as he mulls what to do next. And you watch him and go, oh, damn, this guy's good. This is a really good performance in a not-so-great movie. Holy shit. And then, of course, months later, Jonathan Major's career is rightfully taken down. So I'm going to cut this moment for a number of reasons. But it's a reminder that... Jonathan Majors rightfully no longer part of Marvel. Like, I can't emphasize enough. I do not want Jonathan Majors brought back to Marvel. But like you watch him. You watch Kang's face and the way he reacts. And it's a really freaking good performance. And I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so so makes me so mad that he's a creep in
1: real life. Yeah, sometimes bad people are talented. We yeah. see it it's, all the time. It's,
2: it's, it's completely fair to say Jonathan Majors is a great actor. Because he really is a great actor. But he's also... Apparently a, a terrible person. So yeah, I yeah. say
1: swap swap the butt and just make it. And yeah. he's a terrible person, and yeah. he's talented. <laughs> all right. Yeah, because we're
4: going to talk about him a little later again. And yeah, it is a real shame because that's that's why this all sucks so bad because he is incredible and he just set his whole
1: career on fire. So yeah,
4: yeah.
5: All right, I'm deleting both Ant Man moments. They're gone. Yeah. Uh, pro tip:
1: Don't beat women.
5: <laughs> well. Uh, BJ, you're up next. So it's a moment for it to keep and a moment to delete.
1: All right. So a moment to keep. Um, I put this one on the list. I feel very passionately about it. I feel even more passionately about it after seeing the film in the theater, which is an experience not a lot of people got to do. Uh, but it is the climax of Namona when uh, Namona is seen for the first time and you get the ICU Namona. Anybody who is queer or marginalized or othered in some way has had that feeling of, fuck it, I want to die. The world is too mean. I can't deal with it anymore. And sometimes all you need is that one person to say, I see you, and it changes everything. I was a blubbering mess, and I would like to keep it.
5: <laughs> yeah, an- an is another film that I think has been under the radar a bit. Uh, but I know you're passionate about it. I know the animation nuts on slash staff, but nuts about it.
0: And I'm not going to say no to this one. This is a great movie. Um, I think because it's the only moment from this movie that we have on the list uh, and and because it's such a powerful scene, I'm totally cool with this being on there, but I'm not sure how much support this movie has among the people on this podcast. I don't know how widely seen it is.
4: Uh, I haven't seen it either. So I have to kind of go off of BJ's passion here. And I think like recalling last year a little bit, I, I think a, a couple of times we, we, some of us got our passion pitch on there. And I think I, I would argue that, you know, trusting BJ's judgment and her passion here. I would argue for it to be on the list as well. Yeah, I haven't
3: seen this one yet either, but when it comes to animation, uh, especially I trust BJ's judgment. This sounds like it's like a a powerful, meaningful moment in a movie that otherwise also, you know, somewhat went overlooked. So that's, that's what we like to do in this list too.
1: Definitely. I like, I challenge all of you when you finally do see it, I'm going to get all these DMS like, oh, you were not kidding. That moment's intense. And it's like, yeah, it's great.
5: (laughs) All right. Nimona, um, I see you Nimona has been locked in. Uh, BJ, what do you want to kill?
1: All right. So uh, this is one I put on the list specifically just because I wanted to talk about it, even though I know it was going to get killed. Uh, I did that last year, too, because I make my own rules. Um, But it is a scene in You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, uh, the coming of age film with Adam Sandler and his family, including his daughters in it. Uh, There are a lot of moments in this movie where it stops feeling like they're acting and it feels like Adam Sandler actually just hanging out with his kids and being a dad to his kids. And there is a hilarious moment with Adina Menzel and then uh, Jackie Sandler, so Adam Sandler's real wife, that are talking to each other in the doorway. And you can hear in the background Adam Sandler and his daughter Sunny Sandler having like a father-daughter argument about what they're going to do for her bat mitzvah. So it's just, you know, parental teenage strife as background noise but at one point Adam Sandler screams uh we fought the Nazis so you could have a virgin mojito bar and it is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life because (laughs) it feels like I'm just eavesdropping into the Sandler family it's so funny but uh it's fine that it gets cut I just wanted to highlight it because it's great
5: (laughs) yeah I mean it sounds funny but there's a lot more on this list
1: (laughs) yeah and I, I will say it's
3: been a long time since I have been so satisfied by a comedic Adam Sandler yell. And it's just, it's the perfect kind of like Adam Sandler that you, you want to hear when he, when he's angry and just shouting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's so perfect. I knew it was going to get cut, but I wanted to highlight it because that's another one of those. It's a great sleeper coming of age film that I think people either avoided because it's Sandler or they avoided because it's a teen girl movie and it's genuinely good. So that's my uh, way to kind of Trojan horse getting to talk about it.
5: (laughs) All right, well, let's go on from the list, and I'm next in rotation, and I'm going to pick my my favorite moment from this list, the one that I think is stands above the rest of them overall, and that is uh, The Iron Claw, Carrie Meets His Brothers in the Afterlife. This is the film about the Von Erich family, the family of wrestlers, from director Sean Durkin, and the movie is obsessed with, with curses. Uh, the main character, uh, Kevin Von Erich, played by Zac Efron, believes his family is cursed, and throughout the film, his brothers die. Before the film even begins, one of his brothers has died very young, and I wrote an article about this where I compare it to the Sopranos, a show that seems to take place in our reality, but has layers of supernatural in it. Uh, God exists in the world. Sopranos ghosts exist. They're just always in the, in the far margins. People always dismiss it. And when people, when somebody has a dream that leads them to an impossible realization, Sopranos, it's treated just as a dream and not as a vision, even though evidence exists in Sopranos that, that there's overlap, like things that the supernatural exists in that world. And, there are hints throughout the Claw that this kind of applies, that maybe there is something to this family curse. Uh, we see a ghost at one point, literally a dead character appears in a scene in the background. is unnoticed by the characters, but we, the audience, see it. And towards the end of the film, uh, after Carrie, uh, the fourth brother to die in the film, uh, that sui- uh, dies by suicide, we literally cut to the afterlife. He is boating down a river. He leaves behind a coin that's a vital part of the plot, but also clearly Greek mythology symbolism. You know, uh, river sticks paying for passage, and he meets his brothers on the docks. Uh, in the, in the, the, it's not like this is filmed as a fantasy. It's not filmed as a dream sequence. It's filmed like the rest of the movie with that natural, caring, uh, very un like uh, un, uh, unstylized, but like. I don't know. I'm trying to find a way to describe this. Because Durkin's a wonderful director, but he's not overly stylish. He keeps things very realistic and very much tied to reality. So the fact that the scene is filmed like the rest of the movie tells us this is supposed to be literal. And Carrie embraces his brothers and he meets his, uh, uh, his the his, his, his oldest brother or a detective who died when they were still a very young child. And, I was crying through most of the Iron Claw at this point, but it's the point in the theater where I could see people all around me, like visibly sobbing. I could hear people trying to hold in tears. And it's the Iron Claw sort of saying, yes, um, there is a curse. And yes, these brothers did die because of it, but they're all together here. And, you know they're reunited in this way, and it's deeply sad and deeply troubling and very upsetting, but also very affirming that, that that in the tragedy there's something happening here. And Durkin takes this big wild swing that shouldn't fucking work, literally cutting to the afterlife and saying, "All right, here they are together in the end. After all, shouldn't work at all, and yet it does." And to me, this is the moment of 2023.
0: It broke me. It shattered me to pieces, and it must be on this list.
4: A full agreement.
0: Yeah, the moment where the brothers like step aside and reveal, you know, the, the child, the oldest brother among them, the first to die, um, was really where it, it went from like a really nice moment to like a, a gut wrenching one. So I'm yeah, I, I agree. This should be on there.
1: I agree completely. And my next pick on this was the now I'm not a brother line, which kind of happens right around this scene, because that is an actual quote from Kevin Von Eric. But I feel like if we're going to have one of those two moments that it should be the afterlife moment because yeah, watching Carrie Von Eric pick up Jack uh, wrecked me in a way I was not anticipating. Well, and yeah, like, I was actually. Oh, I'm sorry, DJ. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just like dry heaving <laughs> at that point. when this Yeah, happened. well,
4: because I was going to ask because for me the line the line that you're referencing, which we also have on this list with Kevin mourns his brothers, like that line, like I the afterlife scene got me, but him saying like, I used to be a brother, like just absolutely destroyed me. So, but, though, but my memory is that those two scenes were kind of like right up against one, one another. Is, is there like a version of this where we just kind of combo those two up? Uh, there, yeah. there,
2: there's a, definitely a, a chunk of time in between. Them. Is there?
4: Okay. My, yeah. mem- okay. My, okay. Well, all right. Yeah. Cause I have a hard time killing that other scene, but I think Jacob's right that this one deserves to be on there. All
5: right. Um, I'm going to kill a moment that I did not add to the list. So I apologize. whoever added it on here. I still don't think this movie should be on the list at all. And that's Renfield recreating scenes in Dracula. This movie's bad. And even the stuff where, even the moments I think where it's trying to be cute like this, I don't think work. I, I think we, I think we can cut this. Someone wants to defend this. Feel free.
3: No, I, I honestly added it just because I thought it was a nice, cool thing. But yeah, I, I totally agree. Renfield sucks. But it was uh, it was nice to see how they did very loyally and accurately recreate scenes from the original Dracula with Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Holt.
4: I wouldn't be so quick to kill this one. I was happy someone else put this on there because I almost did as well. But
3: I, it's not going to make it, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, no, no.
4: And that's where I'm wrestling. You're right. You're right. Like, I'm not going to sit here and hold us up for no good reason. But I will. I will I'm not going to go to bat for Renfield overall. I'll go to bat for that that scene in a big way, but fair enough.
5: All right. I'm killing Renfield. All right. Next in the rotation is Ryan. Ryan, one to keep and one to kill.
4: All right. So I'm going to go, uh, I'll try. This one should be pretty quick, but I, I'm going to go with a movie. I don't think nearly enough people saw. Um, just a quick survey. Who saw the blackening? I did. I
1: did. I saw it as well. Okay.
4: All right. So, all right. So we got, okay. So there, there is a small moment in the blackening. That is the funniest thing I saw in a movie all year. And uh, it is, there's a scene where the killers enter the house and um, one of the characters named King uh, gets a hold of a gun and is going to try to shoot at them. And he holds the gun sideways. And the thing about this movie is it's very much like a, you know, it's it's a very uh, knowing like satire of a lot of like black tropes in cinema. And so what happens is He's holding this gun sideways and you hardly even notice he's doing it. And then a character played by Jermaine Fowler named Clifton reaches over and turns the gun right side up Uh, because, and it just, it leveled me and it is like, it is this, and then it also comes into play later in the movie again, like why that, why he did that and why it was like 10 times funnier that he did that. And I don't want to spoil it too much, I guess, but it has to do with the, the real killer and stuff. But, I just thought that, like, in a very funny movie, in a in a very underrated movie, in a very underseen movie, this was like a brilliant little moment, and uh, I I just it, you know, as far as like having a good time in a theater and something that like makes me laugh, this to me was uh, very just so damn funny, and I loved it. So uh, I will go to bat for this, uh, but you know, I'm I'm willing to hear everybody else here.
5: Yeah, this list exists for moments like this, as far as I'm concerned. I I don't see a reason why this shouldn't be on the list.
1: Yeah, I agree. that It's one of the best jokes in the movie, and like this is a film filled with so many good jokes for me.
2: You know, you guys say this now, but we're going to get to a point where we're going to be like, uh-oh. We're <laughs> running out of room. We're running out of room. And now we have this one moment on here that's what's the most disposable moment? It's going to be something like this. I'm just putting it out there. Think, <laughs> it, you have to think strategically, people. Think Ryan, strategically. Ryan, is
0: this your passion uh, pick here, or is this just one that you really like?
4: Uh, I wouldn't say this is like my full passion pick. I would be okay moving, to Chris's point, even though I'm going to go to bat for the scene, I would be okay moving this in like a maybe pile that we could revisit later, But because uh, Chris is right. We are going to get to a point where, um, you know, this yeah. is getting challenging, but I don't want to go so far as to say let's cut it yet.
5: Okay. okay, I I, move, I moved it to our in discussion section. Um, okay, that's so fair. Is, is there another moment? You, is a moment you want to nominate to keep? Uh,
4: um, I, I'm okay just moving on to one to axe right now, and I guess we can. I don't know how we want to do this, but okay, oh, yeah, uh,
5: yeah, yeah, I was, I was going to let you have the opportunity to, to lock one in for sure. But if you want to move on to axing one, uh, feel free. I think
4: I'm going to be fighting for a lot of ones that are not locked, so so I think uh, <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll move on. But um, uh, so at the, I, I'm sure BJ is going to jump through the screen and kill me here, but um. I'm going to actually say we should ax the final line from Barbie. And I'm just only saying this because I think we have, what, five moments nominated from Barbie and not all five are going to make it, I don't think. Oh, no, and that s- can go.
1: That I did not nominate that
4: one. <laughs> oh, I don't know who did. Okay, but, but anyway, but, but I think if we're looking at the other Barbie moments we have, I just don't think this is the one that makes it. So yeah, I'm just going to so, say. It's really
5: funny, though, but. Oh, it is I... funny,
1: but I'm just saying let's get ahead of an argument we're going to have to have later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's there's one on there that I will fight tooth and nail for, and it's not that one. <laughs> okay. All right.
5: All right. It's gone. Okay. Next in rotation is Brad. Brad, one to kill, one to keep.
3: Okay. Uh, the one I'm going to keep, and I'm just going to get my my passion one uh, out of the way. I don't think it'll have any real resistance, but because it's a movie that uh, hasn't really been uh, getting as much attention during award season whatnot as I would like, I'm just going to make sure that it gets on there and that we don't mess around about it. Uh, and that is Sonny Vaquero's pitch monologue to Michael Jordan in air. Uh, this is one of the best monologues of the year. It's a hell of a performance in this moment by Matt Damon. And this is where he, he basically interrupts what is like the rehearsed pitch to try and convince Michael Jordan to go with Nike to get do the Air Jordan line. He shuts down this, uh, this marketing video that they made. And he just goes off the cuff and delivers this speech about how like he knows Michael Jordan is going to be great, and that you know he shouldn't worry about money or anything like that. And basically, like you know, uh, he doesn't need you know the shoe in his life to have meaning. It's like we need the shoe so that we can have meaning in our life. And like it's it's easy to be cynical about a movie that's basically about a product, but I think that it injects so much meaning into like the mundane things that we do assign meaning to in our lives. And it's such a well written uh monologue that like I, every time i hear it like i, I absolutely I, like I, I feel like inspired i'm like it, i just swell up with just like passion uh and so i i love this scene and i, I definitely want it to be on the list
4: no arguments here uh I, I i almost got up and cheered when this happened in south by southwest when i saw it so i'm 100 with you brad
3: i have no issue with this being on the list Yes, mm-hmm. do it
5: all right what are we killing
3: uh i'm going to kill because i mean neither of these are are really going to uh to make it um i mean we could probably just cut both of them honestly if we want to go for it uh but both of the scenes from blue beetle uh i put one of them on here i don't know who put the other one on uh but yeah, can, can i just say my, mine i
5: added here is every time it's not really a superhero movie which is a, a just my i, I knew it's gonna be cut because not even a really a moment blue beetle is such an effective movie about a Hispanic family uh, living in this near future city where things are changing rapidly. Every time it becomes Iron Man Light, I'm like, get back to the family. Come on, I want to see more of this, of this wacky family. The family stuff in Blue is really good. After the superhero stuff is only okay.
3: Yeah, I agree. And if there were, I, I put the other uh, scene on here because uh, it has that family dynamic to it. And it's when the family goes to save uh, Jaime from when he's taken prisoner uh, inside that fortress and they attack the fortress in blue beetles bug vehicle and uh accidentally start motley Crue's kickstart my heart during the sequence from inside uh it's just a lot of fun and it it brings together like some of the superhero stuff that does work just a little bit even though most of it's kind of just paint by numbers boring and that cool family dynamic between Jaime's family so uh but yeah i, f- I think both of them are, are not gonna make the list so
5: yeah cutting them both
3: a charming movie but yeah not 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 gonna get there
5: yeah, I, I, I wish it had done better because I would have liked to have seen more of, the, of, that, of that family hanging out, doing stuff.
0: Um, but not saving the world. Okay, Ben, you're up next in rotation. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and I will make my first selection. Okay, so my first pick for something to keep, I'm just going to say... Geez, yeah, there are so many that, that I feel like are like real passion plays for me. But um, I think the one that I would be most disappointed is if the ending of past lives got somehow passed over. So I'm going to argue for that, which is just uh, an emotionally devastating moment. And just like the culmination of everything that that movie is about. And uh, so beautifully filmed and written and conceived and executed on every level and uh, just like one of those moments that immediately sears its way into my memory and is never going to leave. So um, I think we have enough people who have seen past lives to at least be able to weigh in here. But um, what do y'all think?
1: Oh yeah, yeah I this co-sign. Sh- <laughs>
2: this should be on the list for sure. Definitely.
5: Yeah. Past lives, I think it was number three on our slash film best of the year list. There, there's no way we don't get past lives in this list. My question for you, Ben is should we lock in the ending on the list and then maybe cut the other ones that are on here just to keep us moving?
0: Yeah, I think that that's probably wise. Um, the other uh, two moments that we have here are the opening scene at the bar where the basically the movie begins with um, characters that we never really meet uh, observing the main characters and kind of like um, basically like guessing what their dynamic is and, and sort of trying to read the room in that way. And it's a very like uh, stagey kind of opening scene. Th- scene which makes sense because celine song the writer director of this movie uh, was a playwright before she made this film um but like stagey in a really good way it's like a very very memorable opening scene that i hadn't really seen done before anywhere else so i just thought it was notable uh and then the scene where the kids are parting um basically like the movie is about these two kids who grew up in korea and then one uh one of them and their family moves to the united states or i actually to, to canada i think um and there's just a, a shot where one of the, you've seen it in the trailer probably, where one of them is like going up a stairway and the other one sort of like peels off to the left and and continues on this sort of like flatter path. Um, and I just thought it was like really dynamic, perfect visual storytelling that was very, um, yeah, it just like struck me in the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I think the the ending is really like the key moment for, for the purposes of, the, of this list. Does
5: anyone else, would anyone else disagree with us cutting out your moments just to keep this list moving? Nope.
4: Yeah, I'm good.
0: All right, but that does not count as Ben's cut. Ben, what is your actual proper cut? Uh, my proper cut. Let's see. Um, how about getting down from the gazebo and Cocaine Bear? Um,
5: okay, <laughs> I, I I put this on here because I do not like Cocaine Bear. I think it's a bad movie. But this gag cracked me up. I think it's very funny. We can cut it. But this is this is the moment when the cop like surrounds, like gets to drop in the drug dealers. He's on the roof of the gazebo with his gun out, and he's like, like, you know, don't stand where you are. Everybody surrenders. Then you realize that he can't get down from the gazebo without taking his gun off them and doesn't know how to proceed and it's extremely funny and very situational and has nothing to do with the cocaine bear and it's the best scene in the movie uh, <laughs> but, we can, but we can cut it
4: it's a good scene but that was going to be my next cut so i'm all for this <laughs> all
5: right it's gone okay uh back to the top uh chris uh kill one and keep one
2: uh so what i really want on the list is the ending of the zone of interest um Ooh, yes which is like so the Zone of Interest is a movie about um, uh, a family living in this house that's right outside of Auschwitz. It's about uh, the commandant of Auschwitz during World War II. And at the end of the movie, he, uh, midway through the movie, he gets transferred to another location while his family stays at the house in Auschwitz. At the end of the movie, he's at a party. Uh, he's been told he's going to be sent back to Auschwitz to basically ramp up the, you know, the, the Nazis' final solution. And he's at a party, and he leaves the party, and he goes out into this hallway where he's all alone and he throws up, and then the movie suddenly cuts to present day, and it shows janitors cleaning Auschwitz because Auschwitz is—you know—you can go and visit it right now, and they're cleaning it in the present day, and you, 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 they're just a montage of them just like vacuuming and polishing the glass, and and you see all the you know the the ovens and and the, the piles of suitcases and all you know all the paraphernalia from uh, that was left there, and then it cuts back to. Uh, you know the past and it's him alone again and he just descends the staircase into darkness and when i saw this it it, like knocked the the wind out of me because i did not see this coming and it's so sudden and haunting and it's gonna like linger with me for like the rest of my life it's one of those endings that i just can't like shake off and the movie itself was already like this it's a it's a like one of the most disturbing movies i've ever seen just the way it's it presents the banality of evil and this ending like just ratcheted it up like a million degrees. I just, I, I, have never seen anything quite like this ending. And uh, so I I would be very upset if this doesn't make the list. So that's my
5: pick. Can I read something from uh, a piece on slash film? Sure. This is from uh, writer, Whitney uh, Seabold writing about the ending of the film. While Glazer wielded cleanliness and sanitation and upper-class comforts to cover up the evil Nazi party, he also filmed an epilogue that depicts 21st century historians have been using sanita- sanitization and cleanliness as an act of remembrance. While Rudolph is vomiting in a darkened hallway, Glazer makes a hard cut to the present-day Auschwitz, now turned into a museum memorial. He shows museum employees vacuuming the floors, unlocking the cells, and cleaning off the glass and the, ho- the house's as of victims' personal effects. The horrors of World War II are neatly packed into gleaming white boxes, presenting death in stark relief. Glazer, however, is not cleaning up history, nor the curators of the Auschwitz Museum. They are cleaning up the area around the vomit, showing that evil is present. This is where the last scrap of humanity is spe- well, was spewed up and spotted on the ground. This is what genocide looks like. People once wore these clothes, then they were killed. Look at the death without distraction. The Nazis cleaned up after their evil. We'll never be able to clean up after the Nazis. I think this moment makes the list.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah Zone 100%. of Interest is one of those movies where I am so irreparably changed for having watched it and I'm never watching it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this should absolutely be on there.
5: Yeah, I also want to point out that the one moment Chris uh, did not touch on is that as he's saying the staircase, uh, the the, the Nazi character uh, Hess uh, starts dry heaving in a a, a scene that uh, parallels a moment from the documentary, uh, The Act of Killing, where a guy who was in genocide who's proud of his work starts recalling it and starts dry heaving as well. And in q and A Q&A that, I, that I I that was live streamed that I attended, uh, John the Glazer talked about how that moment, he watched a moment with the actor, as uh, the idea the body is rejecting evil, the soul is it has embraced evil. There's no soul left, there's no humanity left, but the body itself is unable to hold in the evil that his mind is is, is letting slip by. It is there's so much going on in this ending. It's it's yeah, it has to be on the list. Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay, well, how do we follow up Nazis, Chris? <laughs> what are we cutting?
2: All right, this is probably going to be a controversial cut, but there are three salt burn moments on the list. I'm going to just go and say cut the the dancing ending because I'm sorry, but that's you could like lose that. Like, I I am a salt burn uh, agnostic, and then I don't think it's very good. I don't think it's very bad either. I think it's fine. I I think like all the controversy around it and the people like going crazy about it are like like it's like all right calm down this is this is not the movie to get that that amped up about but this is interesting because my
4: next cut was going to be the i'm a vampire one but i do think saltburn should probably be on this list
2: well i was going to say of the three moments the bathtub scene seems like the one most likely to make the list because that's the scene everyone talks about so if we're going to cut i'd buy that yeah
5: well how about we cut the dancing of the house and i'm a vampire then we can discuss the bathtub a little bit down the road
2: that's that's fine with me, yeah. Yeah, I'm good with because
5: that. Because I, I put Dancing Through the House on the list, but I also agree that the bathtub scene seems to be the one that people are drawn to, even though I prefer the Dancing Through the House. And Emerald Fennell, when I interviewed her, uh, seemed to think that's her favorite scene in the movie, too. But, you know, whatever. It's gone. <laughs> All right, BJ. Kill something, keep something.
1: All right. So the thing I'm going to keep, and we can kill one that goes with it, um, I personally am a much bigger fan of uh, Havana Rosalew in Bottoms discovering that Jeff is cheating on her and having that slow descent of every single emotion being on her face while laughing in the diner and slamming her head on the table. I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But I know that the the moment that should stay is the, the fight scene when they start kicking football player ass and actually kill some of them uh that's the scene that should stay so we can get rid of the other one um to keep the football player climax i love bottoms emma seligman is one of my favorite uh you know new voices it this movie makes me laugh so hard um and yeah anytime i get to see teen girls murder (laughs) boys uh i'm happy
5: yeah uh This is the closest a a scene has come to capturing the primal comedic joys of Anchorman. The first one is is, is Bottoms. And Mm -hmm. it's the scene where they straight up murder the football players in the final fight and everybody treats it like it's just a regular 80s high school movie victory is extremely funny and should be on the list yeah
1: it's, yep. it, because the thing, we forget, the thing we forget is the lead-up to that is that this football team was also trying to kill the quarterback and everyone is like in the past they've like drawn and quartered people and it's just <laughs> normal uh that movie's great but yeah havana rosalie is the unsung hero of that movie for me and that's why i nominated the other one but that can go to keep the, the football scene.
5: All right. Um, BJ, do you want to count that bottoms cut as your uh, proper cut, or do you have that one you want to cut as well?
1: Um, I want to count that one as my cut.
5: <laughs> All right. Back to me. Um, okay. I put three moments from One Evil Lurks on this movie, the Argentinian horror film. Uh, the best possession horror film of the year. Sorry. I, it was embarrassing. That this movie was out and like available when Exorcist Believer hit because... Exodus believer is so toothless, <laughs> yeah. Whereas when Evil lurks, whether you like it or not, this movie's going for it. Uh, and there are three moments in particular that I think that escalate the action uh, in ways we start. Re- three moments where you realize, wait, are they going there? And those moments are the early point in the film uh, where a a wealthy farmer uh, realizing that a demonic evil is inside one of his goats shoots the goat. And his wife realizing that he has un- uh, unleashed the evil by doing so, or murders him, and then smashes your face with an axe, uh, to try- so, they have to- so they can die before worse things happen to them. That's when I realized, oh, holy shit, what am I watching? Uh, second moment, where the main character has arrived at his ex-wife's house to rescue his family from the uh, pandemic of the demonic possession that's stretching around their community. And there's a very friendly dog who's walking throughout the scene, and then the dog gets possessed, and almost casually grabs the youngest child and drags him out of the house. Uh, and one of the most startling, most upsetting things I've ever seen in the movie is the dog grabbing that kid because you realize <laughs> they went there. And then in the final stretch of the movie, another kid's been taken by the demonically possessed uh, ex-wife. The brother, the brother says, oh, I'm going to rescue my, uh, my nephew. He gets there, finds her walking with the kid in her arms and she's already hollowed out his head and is eating his brains like it's a bag of snacks. Oh, and-
2: Jesus. <laughs> so these three
5: moments are all Equally horrifying uh, And the heart, and like, this movie goes hard It is the, it is, it is, this movie is the uh, Gut punchiest Like, n- doesn't pull any Any blows whatsoever Horror film of, of, of last year uh, I think the dog scene is the one
1: It's the because- dog, it's gotta be the dog <laughs> Are, are you sure we don't want to talk more about the brain scoop snack before we really decide here, guys? <laughs> see, here's the thing. Like, brain scoop snacks, like, I can see that in zombie movies. I can see that in a ton of things. I it, I don't know if I've ever seen, like, a little girl just, like, hanging out with his dog, and then the dog's like, what if Ragdoll? <laughs> like, that is, it was horrifying. I could not believe they went there.
5: Yeah. I. I does, anybody, does anybody have any reason for Winnie evil Lurks not being on this list?
2: I'm not going to fight it, but I'm going to go on record as saying is I don't like this movie. I don't think it's very good, and I'm like the only one in the world. And it's it's I'm the last honest man on my lonely <laughs> island over here. I just do not like this movie at all. I found it abrasive and annoying, and I wanted it to end as soon as it started. But I'm not going to fight. The, the, I this didn't moment. see it, and this sounds like the exact kind of movie
4: I am not going to. Like this sounds like wildly upsetting, but I but I can. I can appreciate the dog eats little girl of uh, shock value for, for I can see the argument
2: there. I just want to say that dog did nothing wrong and the dog uh, should have not been shot. and <laughs> dog <laughs> <innocent>. the, dog. <laughs> the dog is innocent. The dog did nothing wrong here.
5: Okay, well, I cut the other two and locked the other ones. I'll count that as my cuts as well. So that's one gone and sorry one added, the dog attack and the other two deleted. Moving on to Ryan.
4: Uh, all right. I guess since everyone else is kind of making their passion pitch here, I'll go ahead and make mine, uh, partially because it's like a movie. Nobody saw is deeply upsetting to me, uh, which is down low a movie that I saw at South by Southwest. Hell yes. Um, but nobody, I mean, I didn't even know BJ you and I talked about this a second where like it came out on VOD and I didn't even know when I write about this stuff for a living and I had no idea the movie was coming out. So it's a bad sign. It means nobody saw it, but uh, the very short pitch for down low is that Zachary Quinto is a uh, plays a dying middle aged man uh, who was uh, r- closeted gay his whole life and is now in like his last couple of months of life trying to explore that side of, of, of himself. And um, there's a scene late in the movie where he is uh, it, it's like both like really touching and profound and and, like, really hilarious, but he ends up getting really high in the middle of, like, they're trying to cover up, like, a dead body, and uh, the Zachary Quinto, the masseuse he's there with, and this guy who's there to, like, take the body, like, end up high, and they're dancing to this song called Higher that, one, is very earwormy and gets stuck in your head, but so you're seeing, like, their, like, high vision of them, and Zachary Quinto is, like through this vision, like discovering himself and like feels, and you see him be free for the first time. And it's like beautiful and fun. And then there's like this small moment where you cut to reality and you see that they're dancing to like this crappy phone speaker and they're just like high and jangling around. And it's really funny, but the sweetness of it all still cuts through. And it's just this really like profound moment of like a person discovering themselves, like knowing that they have like very little life left to live. And um, I don't know. I just thought it was beautiful, funny. The the song, finally, I was able to figure out that... I, I couldn't figure out the song at South by Southwest now. Like, I very recently... Like, it, it's been, like, the song I listen to the most now. Like, partially because of the association uh, with the movie. But please see Down Low. And if there's one scene that explains why this movie is, like, maybe the most criminally underseen movie of last year, it is this scene. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that... That movie is so good and I want it to be like explicitly clear because when you hear like Zachary Quinto, like dying gay man discovering himself, it sounds like this is going to be like a heartfelt movie. It's about him and his like slutty gay masseuse hiding a dead body. Like that's what this movie is about. It is bananas. And yes. this that scene has so much heart in it though but it is so sickly funny <laughs> yeah and i
4: don't want to because I, I guess i'm trying not to give too much away just because i do think a lot of people haven't seen this movie and i want to encourage people to see it but bj is right it is bananas uh it goes a lot of places you wouldn't expect and uh simon rex with the mvp like two scene performance in this movie
1: yeah, the masseuse is played by Lucas Gage, who listeners will probably know as either. The viral video of a director telling a young auditionee that his apartment looks makes him look poor, not realizing he's still on mic. Um, also known as the guy who got his booty ate in the first season of The White Lotus.
5: <laughs> okay, Ryan, it sounds like you're passionate about this. Like BJ's on board. I missed this. I think most of the crew has as well. So not to get too political too soon. But I'm okay with Download making the list as long as you agree that Transformers: Rise of the Beast does not.
4: Here, <laughs> Bro, here's, the shit. here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the. All right. See, this is the other one. Okay, so I was debating what my passion play was going to be because I knew you all were going to push back on this. So before we axe Transformers, can I can I make my quick pitch about why i put this on here and if you guys no, will, no i'm kidding guys. if you guys don't if you guys don't want to hear me i get it i get it like but but like all right let me as the movie goer loving guy that i am real quick before it goes all right i cherish the theatrical experience and i often say here like i am a popcorn eating rube i'm not the art guy i like movies i you know uh, not as cinema but as entertainment and that's fine i make no bones about that I love the first Transformers. I love Bumblebee. I even like Transformers 3. Transformers Rise of the Beast, not as good as Bumblebee, but there are moments where it rises to that occasion. And and there's a moment where Bumblebee's dead for a lot of the movie. And then he comes back and he jumps out of an airplane and saves the day to Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J. And the second that needle drop hit, I am 16 years old in that movie theater, grinning from ear to ear like an idiot, watching Bumblebee just wreck everything. And to me, like, those are the moments I kind of live for when I'm in a theater, like, where you just feel like, you know, you're in your 30s and you're like, oh, is everything behind me? Do I care about anything anymore? And then, like, this CGI robot is making you smile and feel like a kid again. And I just think, like, that moment... And there were, like, people in the theater having it and loving it. And so, for me, like, it was... One of the best moments I had in a theater all year, so I I I would, you know, pitch that, and that's hard to sort of convey a feeling in a scene, but that's that's why I put it there. But if no one else is going to back me, we can we can get yeah.
1: It but else. if we want to support a film that has like childhood IP set to '90s hip hop, there's the Ninja Turtles.
4: Well, I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to push against that scene. We can talk about that later. But
5: no, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I right, not not to hijack your turn here but I think download makes a list and you should cut transformers yourself rather than making one of us kill your baby.
4: All right. Fair enough. But then I, can I, can I still make an actual cut?
5: I'm cool with that. If you folks are.
4: Yeah. All right. Yeah. Just for the expediency here. Uh, I liked scream six just fine, but are we, is the, who gives a fuck about movies scene? Really? Gonna, are we, is that really going to make it like, actually,
3: really? I actually, what I think we should do, cause I, I added that one on there and then whoever else added the, the killer fake out, they actually technically both kind of go together because the fake-out comes in that same scene uh, where the killer is like, like, hey, Tony Revolori reveals himself, but that line is from that, that opening scene uh, as well, at when with it, when it continues. So, like, I wonder if we should just combine them because they kind of go together. Pretty
5: yeah, I think well. we I think we can we can cut both Scream Six scenes. I like I added to that one. I forgot that they were separate. They were essentially the same scene. It's a cool opening. I really like. I I, I like Scream Six more than most people, and I think the opening is really neat. The way it uh, sets you up for one thing and then immediately turns left. But I think we can cut it and just say goodbye to it. Yeah, I think so. All
4: Hi. right, okay, so we'll get rid of some stuff here. All right, yeah. fair enough.
5: All right, so uh, Brad, uh, kill something, keep something.
3: All right, um, I am going to keep, gosh, I wasn't, I should have been prepared for this and then I realized that I wasn't. Um... Oh, uh, I, <sighs> yeah, I would like to keep uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, The Bard Spell Breaks. Um, there's yes. many, there's many funny mov- uh, moments in this movie. This is one of the funniest to me because the deformed face of Chris Pine as the spell slowly breaks while he's singing a song is one of the funniest things I saw all year. It is just a hilarious moment in a movie that uh, deserves so much more attention and love. Uh, it is it's it is just awesome. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> watched, hilarious.
5: I've watched it about ten times, Brad. Uh, I saw it twice in theaters. i watched it on 4K disc, and it was on Paramount Plus while I was just doing some housework the other day, and I put it on. And then yesterday, my wife was knitting in her inner room, and she had it on again. So I watched it again. Uh, this is a this, this is my most rewatched film in twenty twenty three. This is the funniest moment in it. I think we can keep this one, lock it in, and cut the other one, even though it's also great. Yeah, the other one is the
0: opening prison break scene with, uh, uh, with Jardine, Jonathan... <laughs> <laughs> which is um, extremely funny.
4: I don't even know if I. Yeah, I mean, I, guess, I, I wasn't even going to be so quick to cut that other one because this is my maybe my biggest surprise of the year is a movie that I didn't think that I was going to like as much as I did. But, all right, yeah, I mean, I definitely go for the bard. But, I mean, are we sure we want to cut the other one so quick?
0: There's just uh, so much other stuff here, I think. Okay, all, yeah,
4: right, I, I, I all
5: think, right. I think D&D getting repped on the list once is fine. But uh, Jonathan uh, is... <laughs> <laughs> extremely funny. And the fact that Jonathan is a giant Jim Henson S practical Birdman is just oh, so good. Yeah, it's the best good stuff. Yeah. All right. So uh, Brad, what are you, what are you, what are you cutting?
3: Uh, I'm going to cut uh, a quick little action moment uh, in a movie that pro- probably won't make the cut, but it's, it's one that was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I think people just, you know, forgot about it by the time the year was over uh, and that's in plane. Um, and this is a great moment uh, when you have there, it's a, it's an action sequence. And, of course, uh, there, there's plenty of violence to, to behold, but there's a moment when Mike Coulter uh, picks up a sledgehammer and just smashes bad guys, like, just with a resounding thud. He is, j- just wails on him. Uh And I, I just I put it on here just for funsies. I didn't think it was going to make it, but there you go. Uh Plane, Plane, Plane is real fun. Plane is the best bad movie,
4: and I don't even know if it's the bad <laughs> movie of 20 – and I actually – I think I did, not I put that scene on there. Like, I wasn't – uh, but whatever, I, man, please watch Plane, and I guess if we have to cut it, so be it, but, uh, that, uh, Mike Coulter, big man, beating, beating people to death with a hammer, so much fun.
3: It is.
5: You <laughs> reminded me, I, I actually just added one more moment to the list, because I realized that we, if we're talking about the, the best bad movies of 2023, we, we need to have it, so we'll, we'll come back around to it in a bit, but Plane is gone, but Plane is really fun. The fact you're making a sequel called
0: Boat is amazing. yeah,
4: uh... yeah, yeah, cannot wait.
0: Okay, Ben, you're up next. Okay, let's take another break and then we'll be right back. All right, the one that I want to keep here uh, the twist in Eileen when that's revealed. um, You know, Chris and I saw that at Sundance. We've talked about this movie a bunch on the podcast over the course of the year, but like this is the moment that um, surprised me the most in 2023 and uh, was just like you could feel the bottom fall out of the room when that happened. And um, man, just what a, what a, uh, (laughs) <laughs> a daring piece of storytelling that, uh, that really just like comes completely out of left field and like totally changes the the DNA of the movie. Um, yeah. B- big, big moment here.
5: Are you referring specifically to when Anne Hathaway uh,
0: says the line about what is in the house? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're in a kitchen, uh, her and Thomas and McKenzie, like the whole movie, you think it's basically like a Carol-esque, um, like a lesbian romance kind of, film, uh, period piece. And, uh, and McKenzie's character comes over to what she thinks is Anne Hathaway's house. And then Anne Hathaway, it, it, she thinks that there, there might be like some sort of seduction going on. It's Christmas Eve. Everything seems so great. And then Anne Hathaway basically like pulls her in and sort of asks her to do her a favor and reveals that this is not actually Anne Hathaway's house. This is the house of a woman who, uh, is another, like, a supporting character in uh, this story, and uh, Anne Hathaway's character has actually tied up this woman and has her, like, trapped in the basement, and she needs uh, Thompson McKenzie's character's help to try to, like, um, usher a confession out of her for this terrible act uh, that has happened over the course of the movie. And it's it's totally unexpected on Thompson McKenzie's part and totally unexpected on the audience's part, and it's just, like, a, a really great movie moment. Yeah, this, is, this was going to be my next pick, Ben. This is
5: top 5 moment of last year. I if this isn't on a list, I will I will start ripping heads
4: off.
1: Yeah, Eileen kicks ass. <laughs> this movie's great.
0: All right. Uh, I don't hear anybody like, saying no. I haven't that seen Eileen
4: sounds... yet, so I can't wait. But, I mean, you guys seem pretty sure about it. So.
0: Oh, man. Ben, yeah. should we,
5: it, we cut the other moment as well for Eileen
0: on this list? I think we should, yeah. yeah. It's um, the basement speech that happens right after that where they go down to visit uh, the character who's played by Marin Ireland who has a very small role in this movie but gets, like, this really horrific speech um, at the very end and just nails it. Like, just a, a really great piece of performance. Um, it's terrifying subject matter and really, like, awful stuff. But uh, she really sells the moment there. Um, so, but yeah, that, that moment can go. Yeah. All right. Well, kill your proper kill then. My proper kill would be uh, Peaches from Super Mario Brothers. The, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. Well, uh, well we let's can... talk about it. We
5: can put this into our in discussion section because I argue that Super Mario Brothers is a bad movie with one great scene. And that great scene is Peaches.
3: I like to point yeah. out, I like to point out, uh, I hate the Super Mario Brothers movie, and I added it to the list because, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. Well, I mean, ben, I like. I support, I support you, Ben. I support <laughs> you. Thanks, Oh, Chris. my God. I'm, I'm I,
4: hearing Ben so upset. <laughs> no, I,
0: look, I love Jack Black as much as the next person. I just don't like this song. He just, it's be, be, just be, just. Be, just, yeah, be, just it. it just didn't really do anything for me. So I was hoping that we could just, like, sweep it off. But, okay. So uh, I will Moving pick. discussion. Um, uh, you know, I'll I'll pick something that I put on this list, which is. Um Jason Momoa painting a corpse's toenails in Fast X. Um, Don't you un- dare cut that scene! I was happy oh, okay. you put that all on
4: right. here. I was
0: okay. Killed. All right, all right. So surprising support for this <laughs> well, scene. If, if
2: we're keeping that, we have to cut Peaches. That's the only.
5: Moving the corpse scene up into the discussion because be
2: ruthless, Ben. Here's your chance. Here's your chance to, to leverage your. You have, uh, you, are, you hold all the cards here, Ben. Come
0: on. <laughs> I'm not ready to cut Fast X either. So Ben, kill another one. Another one. Okay. How about we kill, um, uh, you know, Jacob, you and I talked about this when this movie came out. I think you and I like The Flash more than a lot of people, but the rescuing the babies scene is probably not going to make it in, when this whole thing shakes out. But I, I genuinely did enjoy that moment. I thought it was like cleverly staged and like a fun concept and uh, just like a really good like superhero movie moment. But um, I, I doubt very seriously that it's going to make the cut here.
5: Can I say why I added this right before we cut it? Of course. People freaked out about the scene. People were so mad at the scene. I'll admit that the CGI is dodgy, as it is in most of the movie. Um, but people were mad at the scene fundamentally. Like, how dare they endanger babies in an action scene? But the reason I like this is that it's a Flash-specific threat. Batman could not save these babies. Yeah. Batman could not save these babies. One of them, this is a situation where no other superhero in a DC canon could save these babies. Only the Flash could. It's a scene built specifically to that hero, to his abilities, and it's really well realized on a basic filmmaking level, even if the CGI isn't there. And I like that they made a movie where the Flash just flash things and it isn't
3: just doing Batman stuff. So we can cut yeah. it, but I want to say I I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, I'd, I've
1: I'd, also,
3: now I'd want to see a Batman movie where he tries to save these babies and fails and then just <laughs> totally ruins his life. <laughs>
1: I'm just saying, I've already seen Chow Yun Fat save an entire hospital of babies in John Woo's Hard Boiled from 1992, so the Flash can <laughs> suck it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I right, would go bad. to
1: bat for the Flash as like a decent,
4: a better movie than maybe its reputation, but I don't know that that's the scene that I would have picked. But still, yes. I, I will, yeah. I will, def- I will defend Ben and Jacob in that the Flash is not as bad as his reputation is going to go down as. Nah. All right,
5: well, help me do one more rotation through the group, and then we'll call this episode quits. Yeah, sounds good. All right, Chris, we're back to you.
2: All right. So there are two Oppenheimer moments on the list. Uh, One is the, the ending montage. And, and I think we can all agree Christopher Nolan is really great at ending montages, but the other moment on here is the, the Trinity test. And I feel like that's the moment that should be on the list because it's one of the most intense things I've ever seen. And I knew what was going to happen. Like we, everyone knows how that scene is going to end, but the way it's shot and the way it's edited and the way it, it's cut together is so incredibly tense. Where the, the music is building, and then when they finally you know detonate the bomb, it's completely silent. It's like hauntingly silent, and just the way it plays out, uh, I remember just like it took my breath away when I saw it in the theater. And like you know, the whole the whole um, the scene is built around the idea that like there's a there's a slight chance that. When we set this bomb off, it's going to ignite the atmosphere and kill us all. And obviously we all know that didn't happen, but it's so goddamn tense that I, it's it's like an edge of your seat moment. And I, I mean, like I literally like sat forward in my seat during the scene, like the, as cliched as that sounds. So between those two moments, I feel like that's the one that should go on the list.
4: I don't think there's any way this m- moment. Do- I don't think any of us are arguing this moment doesn't go on the list, right? Like, is there anyone who's going to stand against this moment?
5: No, my my one thing is that I think we should move the the ending of Oppenheimer, the uh, end of the world montage into in discussion rather than to delete it because I mean yeah if that's one, fine. If there's one film that can get two entries on the list. I think it could be Oppenheimer. Yeah, the Trinity, Trinity test is a lock. I think.
4: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I to Chris's point, I saw Oppenheimer at midnight on a Friday, and so it was like really late. I'd worked all day, and I was like getting a little tired, and that like woke me up. Like that that is Nolan <laughs> at his absolute finest. So yeah, no that that's a lock for for sure.
5: All right, well, Chris, what do you want to kill?
2: Uh, let's cut the other theater camp moment just because we already have one theater camp moment and I feel like they're not going to get two on, on this list. And so really
5: the Post Malone audition, do you want to give it a quick send off Is what it is?
2: I honestly don't even remember.
3: <laughs> oh, come on. I put this on here. I'll, I'll gladly send this send this one off and, and tell people how great it is. So uh, the, the theater camp has is starting to be run. Uh, the the, the um, creator of it is in a coma. And so her son, who is like this entrepreneur douche bro, is taking over. And he doesn't really know what he's doing. But he's sitting in on the auditions so they can figure out which kids are going to do which plays. Uh, and there's this new kid who's there for the first time. And he starts singing a Post Malone song. And Jimmy Tatro, he just gets up and he just starts vibing to the song while the <laughs> audition is going on, and he like gives him a high five and everything. Oh yeah! It's it's such a hilarious scene, and I, I loved it so much.
5: All right, but yeah, we we only have one moment, so we'll, we'll go ahead and cut it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, BJ, kill something, keep something.
1: All right, I'm gonna I'm doing something really bold here, and I I, I have reasons behind this. So we have four Barbie moments on here. We have the reclaim the autonomy montage. I'm just Ken. What was I made for? And the singing of matchbox 20 on the beach. The one that I am going to die on a hill for is what was I made for? Because, yes, I'm Just Ken is iconic as hell now. Singing on the beach is super funny. The montage is super funny. But what was I made for is the moment for the target audience that does not give a flying shit about appealing to anybody else. This is the moment where it says, being a woman in this world is so horrible and so terrible, but it's also the greatest thing to happen to a person. And I watch this and I hear that Billie Eilish song and I see the montage of all of the different ways that women exist in this world. And I ball my eyes out. It makes it all, like, all of the terrible things that come with being a woman wash away for a brief moment in time to the point where I now have a Pavlovian response to that song where I start crying. Like, it's, oh, I can't explain It's so hard to explain to people who have not been socialized as women how unbelievably powerful that moment is and just oh, it's so beautiful, and I'm, like, gonna start crying if I keep talking about it.
0: Well, BJ, I mean, there are five guys here, and uh, on behalf of all of us, I'm just gonna say absolutely not. There's no way it's gonna make it.
3: So.
1: <laughs> like, it's like, there's, like, this moment where, like, there's a girl that's bowling, and one's doing her makeup, and it's like, I get told to kill myself every single day by weirdos on the internet for existing, but I would not change anything about being a woman when I watch that that scene it makes me stop hating life for a second it's so beautiful like how dare you credit Kerwick?
5: all right well yeah. this is locking in I guess the question now is I actually where... really
3: really quickly I was surprised and and maybe it's just because maybe maybe the scene's like a little too on the nose but I I, I realized that we didn't put America Ferreira's monologue from Barbie on here which is also a fantastic piece. Yeah,
1: it is really solid, but I think the uh, what was I made for accomplishes. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say
3: like that feels like it accomplished it without like being in your fa- face, like with the full on dialogue and explaining it. Like it's it's a more so- yeah. subtle moment way. way it's the it.
4: it's the better moment to encapsulate that thing. I would yeah. I would go with that. And, I, and yeah, because yeah, th- th- there are. Several other moments we got to sort through here for that movie. So,
3: But I will say, I, I do want to put I'm Just Ken into discussion because yeah, I, I, I guess, want to make you. the list. I think
5: I'm Just Ken should be put in discussion immediately because yes, I absolutely. want to put it one later. But I think we can go and cut the other two, which is the Barbies reclaim their autonomy montage and seeing on the beach, even though the, the slow camera pullout revealing all the Kens, including one on drums, is one of the biggest laughs, laughs of last year. But I think yeah. the other two moments are bigger.
1: Yeah, and the two things from those scenes I do want to highlight is, yes, the Shooty being on the drums, unbelievably so funny, and Issa Rae deserves to be in some sort of Hall of Fame for the Godfather, because (laughs) I lost my mind (laughs) when she pronounces it like that. All
5: right, well, so we have one Barbie moment locked in, one in discussion. The other two are very good, but they are gone. All right, there are four Godzilla minus one moments on this list. I think that there are Two of them that are genuine contenders, in my personal opinion. Uh, Godzilla minus one, I think we can cut. Godzilla hits the beach; it's really cool and scary, but it's the movie. It's only the tip of the iceberg. The movie gets bigger and better from there. I think we, I think we should cut that one.
4: I agree. Yeah. I agree because I, I yeah, Godzilla I minus so. one was what I was going to tackle next, so I'll agree with that. But I'm gonna, yeah, tread carefully. It sounds like yeah. The other three are going to be tough for me. Like I, the more I. This this movie is like it's slowly becoming an all timer for me, so I'm gonna have a hard time yeah. here. But
5: this is an incredible film. Um, my favorite Godzilla movie, very likely. I think it's everything I want out of Godzilla.
3: Have <sighs> you seen 1998's
5: Godzilla? Oh yes, Brad. <laughs> um, all right, the moment I want to at least talk about first, I, I intentionally wrote the wrote this as long description. The boats assemble and the Godzilla theme kicks in, and you scream because it's just so cool. The Godzilla theme music, the soundtrack is incredible. The, re- the orchestration the classic Godzilla theme is just immaculate, and having that like that orchestra kick in, usually it's 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 a it's a, it's a the theme is usually signifying that Godzilla is here to attack, but instead it's being turned around on its head and flipped around to back up the humans fighting back for the first time. Godzilla's theme music is powering humans have Godzilla. And you realize, oh, fuck yeah. Oh my God. C- kill Godzilla. Because in so many Godzilla movies, <laughs> Godzilla is a token hero. It's like, we want to smash things. This is the first Godzilla movie in ages. I guess other than Shin Godzilla, we're like, we're on the side of the humans. The human characters in this movie are incredible. And having the Godzilla, the, the, the truly incredible Godzilla theme music, power the humans were excited about. The humans we want to see win. We want the first Godzilla movie in ages where we we, where we want Godzilla to not smash because we want Japan to freaking take the fight back to him. And this moment, this this movie's about Japan reclaiming its power and about saying like, hey, we, we, we were defeated, we were we were firebombed, we were nuked. But... We are going to dust ourselves back up and rebuild ourselves as a society and try to move on. And this scene encapsulates the politics and the excitement and the action and the meaning of, of Godzilla Minus One. It is an incredible moment. The other two are also great. There's Godzilla's big attack of Japan, a very, very, very good a very good kaiju scene, and the tiny machine gun versus Godzilla, where the tiny little minesweeper boat is holding off Godzilla with a machine gun. I, I think they're both really exciting. But I think the boat assembling to the Godzilla theme is the moment from this movie. It if, is oh, yeah. there's only yeah.
4: one. If oh, there's yeah. only one of these mo- moments making it, I will fight you to the death on this, Jacob. Like that is not the only one. Like if that is the. If we're only getting one Godzilla minus one scene, that's not it to me. Like I will, I will like hold up this podcast for hours if I need to. to Which to one do you think should the... be?
5: Do you think it should be a big attack?
4: I think if it's only one, it's the big attack. But I would also like look again just to show my hand. I'd put all three of these on here, but like so, I'm and I, but I know that's not going to happen.
5: So but how would like, we cut? How about, how about we cut the machine gun scene and we'll move the big attack and the boat assemble up into in discussion for now.
4: Yeah, because the only thing I would later. say is that big attack—that's when you get the first cue of the old school Godzilla theme, and when that hits for the first time, it's like like I don't know what heroin feels like, but I can't imagine it's better than that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I,
5: I I've just seen that before. I've seen Godzilla: no, Wreck Cities before. I have not, not, not like seen a, a a civilian fleet in 1949 assembled to fight Godzilla. I have not seen that before. All in, right, in, in we'll revisit
4: life. this in a bit.
5: Okay. Uh, I guess I got to cut something. Um. Goodness gracious. Um, I'm going to go ahead and cut... God damn it. Um, Five Nights at Freddy's, The Furniture Fort. I put it on the list. This movie is not my cup of tea, but I felt like this was the best moment and one of the biggest movies of the year. We should at least talk about how this movie was far more effective as a weird childhood dreamscape as opposed to being a horror film, and this kind of sums that up.
1: I love this scene, and I did not think it was going to make it, so I'm glad that we're at least talking about it. Five Nights at Freddy's is a joy to me, but I know that I'm on the island as our resident adult teen. It's fine.
5: <laughs> okay. I just want to say that, yeah, this movie is, I think, better than a lot of critics give it credit for, but this scene is, uh, with, with all the evil, not well, it's not evil, but, like, killer uh, animatronics all want to build a pillow fort is very, very fun. But I think we can say goodbye to it.
1: It is. It's wonderful.
5: All right. Ryan, you're up next
4: uh i'm gonna go with one i just don't think there's gonna be any pushback on uh the no diggity montage in teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem hell yes Um, here's all i'll say about this movie uh like it's not my favorite movie of the year but while i was watching it i was absolutely convinced that it was um it is for some i love the ninja turtles and i and i have for a lot of my life but it's amazing how often the interpretation of it is just incorrect and, and this movie nails it up and down, like, wow, well, letting them be teenagers, what a concept. But when they are like this montage, like this song to those versions of the Ninja Turtles, like going across the city to kick ass and take names, like it's just perfect like that to me is like that's why i go to the movie so i don't think anyone's going to push back against this but in a in an in an in a pretty close to perfect movie i think this is the scene that says yes teenage mutant ninja trolls meet mayhem
3: i like it yep i am right there with you is
1: there
5: there anybody in this podcast who does not think this movie is delightful
1: this was my favorite animated movie of the year i went on record saying that multiple times and i'll say it again crispy and awfully quiet over there
2: no, I love this movie. I thought it was Okay, delightful. all right. I have uh, no I have no nostalgia for the Ninja Turtles. Like every time they make a new movie, I'm like, God damn it, we do not need another Ninja Turtles movie. But I really like this. I thought it was a oh, delightful, right. a delightful cinematic experience.
5: Should we just go ahead and cut the other ninja turtles moment? Uh it Comes to the Rescue. It's a really good scene, but I think that the No Diggity one sums up that movie really well.
2: Uh, yeah. I'd be perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I'm okay all
5: with
4: right. that
5: too. Okay, Ryan, what are you cutting?
4: Um, I'm going to go with uh, so we have a blackening scene in that needs to be discussed later and I don't think we need to muddy it up with two scenes so I'm going to say we cut that other blackening scene uh, the first round of the game. Uh, Now again I cannot emphasize this enough please watch the blackening but we don't need two scenes on the list.
3: Yeah, I put this I put this one on here uh, and I just think it, it's a very funny sequence because it it runs through a lot of really funny, uh, like uh, racial jokes just um, oh, yeah. among the group as they go around and ask each other questions and have this extended conversation about like a variety of TV shows like Friends and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And it's just a great rapid fire moment of a lot of really funny observations uh, and, and satirical discussions. So but I'm I'm yeah, as long as the other scene makes it because I think that is the really standout funny gag Then I'm I'm fine cutting it.
5: Right, it's gone. Okay, um, Brad, what are you cutting? What are you killing? Oh, sorry, what are you keeping? What are you killing?
3: What am I keeping? I am going to. Uh, I, I don't think there's going to be uh, any argument about this uh, at all. Um, but I, I would like to keep "Killers of the Flower Moon" the radio show ending, uh, and that doesn't mean that the other moment we have from "Killers of the Flower Moon" can't also go on because I think that one is worthy as well. But uh, I think that ending. And Martin Scorsese uh, having that key role in the radio show dramatization and just kind of the self-awareness it, it took to kind of like look upon himself as a filmmaker and like the entertainment within entertainment uh, and addressing, you know, that it's it's, it's it's not his story to tell kind of thing. Like it's just, a, it's a fantastic way to to end the movie and uh, yeah, it deserves to be on the list.
5: I agree. This list is not complete without this moment. It has to be on here. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I
2: would also just add. I would really like to keep the other moment too. At least put it in in, in discussion. Yeah, uh, me that's too. a great Yeah, moment. I agree. Honestly, yeah, the other, put the whole. Can we just put like the whole movie? On that? <laughs> <laughs> the, the other moment, is, for
5: the record, is uh, Lily Gladstone asked Caprio to listen. The moment that was a meme before we even saw it, thanks to the the still, but it ends up being one of the most meaningful moments in the whole movie. So let's put yeah. it in, in discussion for now. Okay, uh, Brad, what do you kill? Um,
3: I would like to kill. Uh. Oh gosh, nah, see, I don't know if that's gonna be. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot at one of my my own things, uh, and we might be able to cut to here because I think I'm gonna be the only pe- person who maybe the only person who saw this movie, uh, and also maybe the only person who would support uh, at least one of these moments. Uh, but we have, I have two moments from Strays that I add to this list. Did anybody else here see Strays? No, I did not see. Yeah, it. I saw it. Okay, it's 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 funny. It's not funny as it could be, but there, there are two moments that I just I, I liked as far as the absurdity and the, the scale of. I wish that there were more moments like this in the movie. Uh, one of them is the the ending where uh, Will Farrell's ca- uh, dog character succeeds, and he goes and bites the dick off of his terrible abusive owner, played by Will Forte. Um, and it's it's set to uh, Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Which does is, he literally bite the dick off? He literally bites the dick off. <laughs> Uh, So it's very funny, Um, but the one more random moment, and if it made the list, it would just be a lot of fun because it's kind of like the greatest moment in in a movie that otherwise isn't that great. But uh, there's a scene that you've seen in the trailer, if you haven't seen in the movie, uh, where Jamie Foxx's dog character gets picked up by like an eagle and Will Ferrell starts chasing after him. And all of a sudden it cuts to Dennis Quaid looking through binoculars in the woods and he just goes, that is the craziest shit I have ever seen. And I'm Dennis Quaid and Dennis Quaid has seen some shit. (laughs) (laughs)
1: it is pretty great and it makes me think of like (laughs) that bit of Dennis Quaid saying Dennis Quaid wants coffee from the Ellen DeGeneres show it has a very similar energy to that
5: yeah, BJ. Do you think these both could be cut though? Do you agree with Brad?
1: I think they can both be cut, but I am glad we talked about them because that movie is very mediocre. But it does have great moments in it, and I will say it's a really funny watch if you're really high. Yeah,
3: the the, the second half is much better than the first half. The second half is where I feel like totally. they, they really start to lean into like the the weird raunchier side of it, and it, it's yeah, there's some fun stuff to be had in there.
5: All right, it's gone. All right, let's close out this episode with Ben.
0: Okay, I'm going to argue for the flashback argument in Anatomy of a Fall to make this list. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before, but uh, basically the Anatomy of a Fall is about this woman who may or may not have pushed her husband out of a window, and she's on trial for that. And the flashback argument is the only time that the movie actually flashes back in time. It begins in a courtroom, and we hear the audio of these characters talking and and basically it's it's meant to be like the jury and the people in the courtroom are listening to this audio file and then we the the viewers of this movie get to go back in time and actually see the interaction that happens between this husband and wife and these characters are just going at each other's throats talking about reclaiming time and what they owe to each other and their their entire marriage is basically like Um, encapsulated in this argument that they're having uh, that happened in the wake of an accident that happened to their son that uh, the wife sort of blames the husband for. And there's all these sort of roiling emotions happening and it is just like an absolute powerhouse of um of an acting performance by sandra hula especially who's like the, the female lead of this movie and it's just uh, i mean one of the most memorable moments of what i think is one of the best movies of the year so um jacob i know you and i have talked about this movie and then this moment specifically before but um this one is is a big one for me i would love to see it on this list
5: yeah i think th- I th- it's on a podcast but I'll, I'll say it again which is That if you imagine in a courtroom crowd listening to this audio and not seeing it, the perception they would get is far different than what we are allowed to see, which is the film's ongoing uh, modus operandi, which is that, you know, things aren't what they appear to be in any way whatsoever, whether whether it's a murder or a relationship. And uh, this scene feels raw and real, and it comes in the middle of of a movie that is, by design, clinical. And then this happens, and it's like, oh, holy shit. Um, I felt like I just witnessed something very real in a movie that was keeping the truth at arm's distance by design. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's just, it's something else. This moment really should make the list.
1: I agree.
5: Anybody
0: else? I haven't yeah, seen you're... it,
4: so I can't weigh in, but it does feel like one of those movies that's been talked about so much this year that if, like, if we, it feels like one that has to sort of be represented.
0: Okay, sounds right. like it's good.
5: Uh, ben, should we go in and just cut the other two moments? They're, I they're think good, so.
0: But. Yeah, the the two lawyers just go to town in their arguments. The entire court case, which takes up a big um, percentage of this movie, is uh, very entertaining and like wildly different than the way the U.S. court system works. So it's just like entertaining on that level to see you know people interrupting each other and constantly talking, and it's it's not like the sort of structured. Uh, uh, kind of um, presentation that you see in a U.S. court system. So that was, yeah, just very, very entertaining Yeah, stuff. just
5: like a 20-minute sequence. To two, since, you, since we do not know if she's guilty or innocent, we do not know which argument here is in the right, but they're both passionate and convincing, and they're just tearing into each other. It is a gr- one of the great courtroom scenes
0: of all time, but the flashback argument is better. Yeah. And then the ending of the movie, um, which like there is a, an ending. There is a, a verdict in this case, and then like what happens right after where the, the mom returns home and uh has this conversation with her son and just sort of like lays alone and then this this very, very good dog, Snoop, comes up and uh and um you know, it sort of nuzzles it's way up to her and and she's kind of alone and she has this animal, but she's not really sure what the shape of her life looks like going forward and like all of the the weight of everything that's happened here. and like whether or not you as the audience believe the verdict of the movie um all sort of comes crashing down in, in these final moments. so it's just uh, a yeah. yeah, very powerful, powerful stuff. The fact that she's
5: in a position so vulnerable and so human, but we do not know if we should be pitying her or be angry at the system or thinking did she get away with it or uh, we we don't know. And, yeah. but all we know is that she's very, very tired and all yeah. she needs is a sleep. <laughs> and that's a good dog cuddle. And we can yeah. relate to that, even though everything else is a huge
0: question mark. It's a great ending, but yeah, I think the argument still is the moment. Okay. So for like the real thing that I want to cut. Um, I would like to try to do a two for here as we head out on this episode and cut both moments from Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom that we have listed, which are Patrick Wilson and Jason Momoa's chemistry and shrimp of the land. Um, so yeah, I, we, can, we can
5: cut them. I, I, this movie is much better than I think people give it credit for. I add both of these. Patrick Wilson and Jason Momoa, uh, unexpectedly wonderful together. Great buddy cop duo here just playing off each other. A lot of fun, but it's no like I couldn't isolate like the one great buddy cop moment. So that music can go. And also shrimp of the land, for those of you who haven't seen it, Jason Momoa tricks his uh aquafaring brother into thinking that cockroaches a shrimp of the land it's a delicacy on, on on among land dwellers. And Patrick Wilson eats silver cockroaches in this film. I found it very funny both times. But we can cut both we can cut both of them. I'm not gonna argue. <laughs> Okay, I think that's it, right, Jacob, for, for this episode anyway? Yeah, we'll be back next. We'll be back for us next week, but for you tomorrow, I think?
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. So you can find more about all the movies that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com, and we'll link to a few things in the show notes as well. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Don't forget to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all tomorrow.